ask you a question. You remember the days that North Korean leader Kim Jong Un was such a good boy? I mean, when I say well, good boy, which means it was innocent. It was, I guess, it was sheltered by the family generations. But fast forward, we're looking at a person. I guess the word we're saying is unpredictable. Given the fact that today, okay, if you follow our show closely, that North Korea is no longer just a country on the map. As a matter of fact, the ongoing missile test and also this terrifying nuclear weapon development actually, indeed, poses major threat to the international community, particularly to the neighboring countries such as South Korea and Japan, and even all the way to the U.S. Of course, on the other hand, we're hoping that China could get a sense of reaction and really understand that China could play a role in minimizing the threat of North Korea. But in reality, China does not or has not shown any positive reaction or attitude contribute to the effort. But recently, again, if you follow the news, that you may realize that President Biden invited the Japanese Prime Minister Kishida. And also the South Korean President Yoon, all the way to join at the Camp David, and this is a milestone for three countries, not only to talk about North Korea and also to talk about the strategies to deal with the threat from the country and also possibly to minimize the threat from China as well. Was it effective? How should North Korea react to the summit, and how should we understand this trilateral relationship at this moment? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, who is Jenny Town. Again, Jenny, it's a senior fellow at the Stimson Center, and she's the director of Stimson's 30A North program. Her expertise is in North Korea, U.S. DPRK relations, and U.S. ROK alliance, and Northeast Asia regional security. Well, Jenny, and welcome back to the missing piece. Thanks, Will. It's great to be back. Jenny, again, as we mentioned before, back in the days, we remember when we talk about Kim Jong Un was just a little boy, but today, the this boy grew up, and as a matter of fact, it's someone that the whole world pays attention. But meanwhile, I want to start with something that you actually tweeted on social media regarding the summit that Kishida, Yoon, and President Biden got together at Camp David, and this is what you tweeted, and I quote. Will be interesting to see how South Korean public reacts to the summit, both in the aftermath, but also in like six months when the fanfare is over and domestic considerations take back over the public narrative. Jenny, I guess the simple question is: Again, fast forward in six months, how do you think the citizens in South Korea, in Japan, or perhaps in even in the U.S. could appreciate? This trilateral friendship among the three countries or among the three leaders, given the fact today, again, according to the media, the summit took place at Camp David was such a milestone. But over six months, how much do you think that citizens can actually understand impact, or should there be more impact over six months? Your thoughts? Well. I- It really depends on what happens between now and then, right? It, it's always there's always like a feel good moment after one of these big summits happens.、Um, there's a lot of fanfare, there's a lot of build up, and certainly all three governments are working hard to sell it as a, a very historic moment.、Um, but it, it's very clear that the the key in all of this is really South Korea.、Uh, we're able to move forward on the trilateral agenda because 
uh, President Yoon is really pushing an agenda that is that is working towards Japan South Korea rapprochement mm. um, that allows for this trilateral cooperation to unfold. Um, you know, it's easier to do when North Korea is actively testing missile systems and, and actively testing WMD because there's a common enemy, it's visible, um, we're reminded of it on a daily basis. Uh, what if North Korea stops testing? Mm. Um, what if then, you know, there's other domestic issues that boil up over the next six months? What if all of the talk about um, especially strategic trade cooperation and strategic realignment um, in the economic realm has, you know, spillover effects into negative spillover effects into the South Korean economy. Um, all of these things are going to matter, right? It doesn't help, of course, that Prime Minister Kishida had um, visited the Yakasuni Shrine right before the trilateral um, arrangement. There's still, you know, quite a lot of um, criticism and unrest about some of the agreements that have gone on between Japan and South Korea, especially on issues like forced labor mm. and, you know, comfort women. So all of these issues still exist. We didn't solve them, even though the political attitude right now, high level political attitude is like, let's let's set them aside. Let's move beyond them for our collective security, common security interests. Um, but whether that holds, how long that holds will really depend on, um, you know, the conditions, the implementation, the circumstances um, going forward. But Jenny, again, just going back to what you said previously, that we read so much regarding the relationship between Japan and South Korea, given the histories or given the historical facts. Now, again, at this moment, that while the summit took place, citizens in South Korea actually protested towards the summit. And given the fact to say um, some of the citizens, particularly for the ones that will experience the trauma and believe this is such, again, I want to be careful, it's not a treason, but it's such a loophole for the South Korean government. So in other words, only because that Kashida and Yoon are interested to building this diplomatic relationship, does that mean that historical facts and what happened in the past should be overlooked or should be minimized? So in other words, from your perspective, is this really a good strategy for Kashida and Yoon to work together? And meanwhile, the protest from uh, South Korean and also the strong reaction among the South Korean citizens can be overlooked. What do you say to that? It can't be overlooked. Um, the question is how, you know, how will how will the government address it? In the next, you know, in the coming months, we had the same issue back um, during the Pakane administration when she made um, the agreement on comfort women without consulting comfort women um, on the actual terms of the agreement, whether it was going to satisfy um, the public mm. perception and satisfy the public demands um, for restitution, for resolve, for reconciliation on these issues. Um, so it, it is going to be an ongoing problem that the government will have to deal with. Both governments will continue to have to deal with. The question is whether it gets to a point where it overtakes policy mm. um, and whether it will disrupt um, the kind of cooperation that's happening now. And again, some of that is really going to depend on what kind of 
benefits are seen by trilateral cooperation or what kind of consequences are seen um, through this increased trilateral cooperation in the coming months. Again, if there's negative economic um, impacts that come from some of the strategic trade um, cooperation that they're talking about, uh, all of that is going to exacerbate then um, these political issues domestically. Um, again, if North Korea stops being an active, you know, visible threat, um, stops actively testing, um, that nationalism card is really easy to play. And President Yoon's approval ratings have been so low mm. to begin that, you know, the there's daily, pro there's weekly protests already about him, um, you know, and that is one of the reasons why he's able to do what he's doing and push forward an agenda um, the way that he is, is because he's already unpopular. Mm. <laughs> uh, but at some point, you know, uh, the government will have to be accountable for that and have to deal with that in a real way. And, and it's really hard to tell right now how that will evolve. You know, Jenny, there seemed to be a popular saying, particularly for some of the government leaders or politicians, and the saying goes like, I want to paraphrase it, whenever it's chaos domestic, leaders travels outside the world or travels to another country. Now, let's go back to the summit. Some people believe that for the three leaders of the countries met up at Kent David, some call it economic cooperation, but meanwhile, some argue the summit could be seen as a military alliance. Again, at this moment, I mean, you mentioned, Jenny, hypothetically speaking, if North Korea were to stop all the missile testing or were to stop all the nuclear weapons development, but you know in reality, this is not the case. So the next question to you is, besides putting this economic agenda on the table, was the summit also included uh, with the whole military alliance on the table? If so, how should we understand this uh, perspective from this military perspective? What do you say to that? I mean, it's not a military, it's not a trilateral military alliance. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about trilateral military cooperation, security mm. cooperation, because we have common interests um, and common threats. Um, so, you know, this isn't like NATO. We're not talking about an Asian NATO. This isn't a collective security agreement. This is really um, the beginning stages of how do we increase cooperation, knowing that our security, you know, our security situation is actually quite um, dependent on this cooperation. Right. So in South Korea, for instance, um, yes, there's 28,500 U.S. troops on the ground in South Korea, but in case of conflict, um, the force flows have to come from bases in Japan, right? That mm. is integral to South Korea's defense in the mm. future in the case of conflict. It isn't an option to say that, oh, you know, if, if Japan in the future decide that they don't want to be part of this, you know, can they be an obstacle um, in that kind of response? Can they make it difficult for the U.S.? Um, to use those bases to move, you know, troops around, like all of those things really need to be resolved, really need to have consistent um, and clear uh, lines of effort, consistent and clear intentions have to be practiced um, because it, it's a complicated, you know, arrangement in case it actually has to be used and exercised. Um, so I think, you know, this is the acknowledgement and this is something the U.S. has wanted for a very long time is greater willingness to cooperate 
um, and trying to institutionalize that in a way where it does become the default of this, this security cooperation, despite political ups and downs um, in bilateral relations between South Korea and Japan. How much do you think the summit could actually elevate the credibility, particularly for Yoon and also for Biden? I mean, Kushida, it's a whole new story, but let's talk about it later on. But again, you just came back from a trip from South Korea. So surely that you've, I assume that you could have heard or, you know, discussed with the citizens in the country. But meanwhile, from the American perspective, that holding this uh, the summit could actually boost Biden's credibility when we look at this partnership in Asia, look at this relationship between uh, South Korea and America at this moment. So again, Jenny, you're the expert. How much do you think the summit actually elevated the status for both leaders, Biden and Yoon? Your thoughts? I think it definitely helped Biden. Um, and there's been a lot of the narrative is really like, you know, Biden was the one that brokered this. He really wrangled both Japan and South Korea into this. Um, and I don't think, you know, Yoon gets enough credit um, mm. because, again, a lot of this really hinges on South Korea and South Korea's willingness to partake in it. Because if South Korea is not willing, it doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> uh, we said it over and over and over. Um I think, you know, in South Korea, it's a little bit different, though, because, again, people are um, concerned about the implications of all of this, um, concerned about the implications for uh, South Korean-Japan relations. And I think a lot of South Koreans, um, both within the political elite and within society, are nervous about how far forward um, that, you know, that the UN administration is moving on Japan-South Korea relations, um, even though now there have been economic benefits from it, right? Japan's finally lifted some of the trade restrictions that they've had on, on South Korea in the past. Um, but, you know, there's also a lot of concern about what happens, what does this mean for the relationship with China as well? And, you know, there's a reason why South Korea is always sort of stuck to more of a strategic ambiguity when it comes to its relations with China. And so, you know, aligning so clearly um, with the U.S. Um, and, you know, digging into um, trilateral, you know, formal trilateral cooperation and, and making it more formal, more institutionalized um, does, you know, is already bringing criticism from Beijing, um, is likely to have consequences, you know, economic consequences as Beijing tries to, you know, influence the situation. Um, and, you know, the people who are going to be most affected by this, um, you know, in the business communities and, and uh, you know, in trade relations and things like this, uh, you know, they're, they're watching this very closely with a lot of um, concern, uh, where I, I think that everyone understands the value of trilateral security cooperation, um, but it's, you know, we're, we're all still feeling out what that actually means in practice and what the cost of that is going to be. Jenny, by looking at the relationships among Biden, Yoon, and Kashida, but meanwhile, again, let's bring China into our conversation. When we talk about North Korea, we have to bring China into the bigger picture, as we mentioned in the intro. Ideally speaking, that China could, or if China willing, to contribute to the effort that, again, talk to the North Korean leaders 
negotiate with the North Korean government to say, hey, listen, the missile testing was fun or the nuclear weapon development was enjoyable. But at this moment, for the bigger picture, you need to stop or at least you need to dial down a lot. But again, so far, we have not seen an initiative from the Chinese government. But meanwhile, we look at the three countries, China, North Korea, Russia. So we also look at the three diplomatic and strategic partners on the other side of the table. So the question to you is, by having this summit at Camp David, does that mean that provide a much greater opportunity for North Korea, China, and Russia to be much closer? So, I mean, think about in high school. It's like three friends that the whole world do, does not want to play with. But somehow, the three friends got better relationships. As a matter of fact, they started to trade. They started to have rumors around. And they even started to generate much greater noises. And eventually, the entire school started to pay attention to say, hey, we're going to be careful with three of them. Somehow, they just got the, the, the news headlines every time. You, what do you say to that? I think we really are, you know, moving towards blocks. Um, and, you know, Beijing looks at this as the deepening U.S. ROK Japan cooperation as a U.S.-led security block in the region, mm -hmm. where it's not about opportunity, it's about necessity. Mm -hmm. How do you build then a reciprocal security block, in which case then North Korea becomes an important security partner. Um, Russia is a, an important security partner for China. And regardless of, you know, the fact that both countries are doing things, engaged in activities that are not in Beijing's interest, um, the relationship itself is still important enough to, to play into both of those, um, regardless of, again, like the idea that it, it, it really is problematic for Beijing. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where yeah, I'm sure Beijing has told the North Koreans, like, can you please just dial it down? Don't do certain mm. kinds of activities and stuff. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that North Korea will listen. <laughs> uh, so North Korea will still act in what it sees its own interests. It's still going to respond, um, especially to U.S. ROK joint military exercises. Like there, there's a, a security spiral going on now where neither side wants to look like they can be intimidated which doesn't create a lot of room for backing down. There's been a lot of support shown from Beijing for North Korea's side of the equation mm. of really pointing to the U.S. and South Korea, like, do you really need to have to do all of this um, when it's clearly continuing to agitate the situation? Is it really about um, military readiness or is it more political signaling? And is it the right signal? Um, so I, I think there's there's a lot of different factors going on that create opportunity for North Korea um, to engage in, in, in activities with fewer consequences than what they would have had before doing those same activities. Um, but it puts, obviously, Beijing in a very difficult place um, where, you know, it needs to nurture those relations um, even when those actors are acting against their interests. Jenny, let's move on to the conversation. Recently, again, as we mentioned before taping our show, that Pyongyang recently resumed the flight between Pyongyang and Beijing. So in other words, pre-pandemic, everything was normal. I mean, we've seen the flight. We've seen this economic trade between the two countries. But post the pandemic, 
that finally that North Korea agreed to resume the flight between Beijing and Pyongyang at this moment. Very simple question: Is this a strategic move and also a clear message from China and North Korea to the West? So, in other words, to say, hey, listen, this is how our friendship is going to get deepened, or this is how our trade relationship, because we know that tourism. Is going to be a major factor, particularly for North Korea. And again, given the fact that North Korean citizens, I guess they will embrace and they welcome the Chinese nationals to the country. So by looking at this resume between the two countries through flight, is this a clear message to the West? It's it's a political choice for sure,、um, a, a political message of who they consider their closest partner, closest ally,、um, choosing that the first. Flight route back、um, is China. The first ambassador, foreign ambassador that they let back was China.、Um, the that the two leaders they invited, you know, to their recent activities inside North Korea were China and Russia.、Mm. You know, it, these are clear political messages of North Korea's alignment right now with both Russia and China, and they've been very open and very consistent about their messaging, offering both political support as well as material support、um, for both countries.、Um, you know how. The North Korea has wanted to to reopen to trade and to you know traffic and tourism for a while.、Um, we've all wanted them to open back up as well, <laughs>、um, and so it's good to see that they're finally moving in that direction. But certainly, there there is a pattern to and a message, a political message being sent by how they're doing it, who they're letting back in, the order in which、um, they're prioritizing their friends. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, again, as other amb- if other ambassadors or international organizations get invited back in, in what order they do.、Hmm. Jenny, two more questions before letting you go. Now, I want to read a statement from the White House regarding the summit. You know, it's interesting. Not only we're looking at the country of Japan, South Korea. But also, the, according to the statement, and I quote, that we wholeheartedly reaffirm ASEAN centrality and unity, and our support for the ASEAN-led regional architecture. We're committed to working closely with ASEAN partners to support robust implementation and mainstream, a mainstreaming of the ASEAN outlook on the Indo-Pacific. We understand this is a strategic move. Among Japan, South Korea, and the U.S., but meanwhile, when we talk about the countries in Southeast Asia, needless to say, these are also the battlegrounds between China and the U.S. at this moment. Jenny, according to your experience, why bring ASEAN into the conversation, into the dialogue? Because again, from in reality, economically speaking, China it's generating much greater noises among the countries in Southeast Asia. We're looking at investment, we're looking at infrastructure shakeup, and we're looking at again the uh, uh, energy resources, etc. But meanwhile, if we only talk about the security、uh, alliance, where we talk a security pact or economic trade. Correct me if I'm wrong. This has nothing to do with ASEAN. So, what is the point to bring ASEAN into the conversation and to say U.S. government is also committed to the ASEAN relationship? What do you think of that? 
I mean, this, this is part of the, the broader Indo-Pacific strategy. It isn't just about South Korea and Japan. It is about the region and securing interests in the region and supporting partners in the region, um, as well as, you know, you know, it is part of the competition with China as well. So, you know, the, the economic cooperation aspect of this is quite important um, to the Indo-Pacific strategy and something that has been, you know, under really emphasized with things like IPEF um, and some of the other trade, you know, um, trade oriented agreements that are going on, trying to rewrite the rules, trying to create a sense of collective understanding about um, how we should be conducting ourselves um, in this more values based world order. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, ASEAN is important in the sense that it, it shows that the, the way that the U.S. is looking at trilateral cooperation isn't just about Japan and South Korea, but is about, again, how do we leverage the alliance relations on other issues as well that deal with our common interests. Jenny, I want to wrap up our conversation again, um, if you follow the news closely, that you know the Chinese leader this week it's actually attending the uh we'll say one of the significant uh, uh we'll say project it called a BRICS. i mean again that includes russia includes china we're looking at india and so much more but meanwhile people are also saying that because of this geopolitical change with china and also this economic slowness in china china seemed to create this what, what they called mini nato so in other words that this is our co own cohorts and this is china's own friends that are trying to boost uh, the uh, the i will say the international status for china so you're the expert how much do you think that we should buy into such rhetoric when we look at china today particularly look at the relationship between china and us and also keep in mind as we mentioned in the intro you and i we say this many times that China is critical when we look at the threat from North Korea. But if we continue to see China as an enemy, or if we continue to see China as a major threat, eventually China is going to be fed up with us, and China is not going to be the player anymore. So in other words, to say, you want North Korea, well, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to do this anymore. Because you could, you don't see me as a friend. You don't see me as, a, 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 we'll say, a partner. You only see me as a threat. If you want me to say I create a mini NATO, you know what? I'm going to do it. Do you think that China is going to uh, one day be fed up with this and also completely just say, hey, North Korea, let's gang up and let's deal with something that poses much greater threat to the U.S. and also to the world? What do you say to that? Well, I mean, this, this is great power competition, right? Um, and, and that is part of the equation. If we're going to create alliances where the underlying message is that it's countering China's rise and China's influence, China's going to do the same thing and, and create its own alliances. Like it's very clear the alignment with North Korea and Russia as sort of a main component of that. Um, but, you know, really tapping into the other institutions as well that they have influence over to leverage that influence to counter what the U.S. is doing on the other side. Um, so in the in the BRICS convention, they really uh, one of the outcomes was to create greater cooperation on AI, which is what you see reflective of what the U.S. and South Korea and, and Japan did in the trilateral summit as well. So you, you do see this 
um, like if the U.S. is going to lead initiatives like this, that China is going to lead initiatives like that as well. Um, and that's part of the if if we're going to move in this competitive realm in this competitive way, that that's, of course, going to happen. Of course, at the end of the day, that there's no way that we're going to know that if North Korea ever going to listen to China and if China is interested in negotiating or having the conversation with North Korea. But on the other hand, despite the economic slowness and also this political extremism in China, but on one hand, we still need to be careful about who we're dealing with. But also, on the other hand, as you as you uh, tweeted before, in six months, and we're going to see if the fanfare is over, and also uh, South Korean public is going to react the same as you know a, a, a other people in all the countries. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Jenny Town. Again, Jenny is a senior fellow at the Stimson Center. And she's the director of Stimson's 30A North program. Her expertise is in North Korea, U.S. DPRK relations, and U.S. ROK alliance and Northeast regional security. Well, Jenny, it's always been a pleasure speaking to you. It's so great to have you back all the way from your trip. And I'd love to have you back on the show as we continue to talk about North Korea. And trust me, this year is going to be a very busy year for the whole world. And of course, that we'll never get tired of talking about China, North Korea, and also the international community. So again, Jenny, thank you so much for doing this.